Hey guys, welcome back to the All Bodies Nutrition Podcast. This is your host, Eleni. And as always, I'm so grateful to have you here with me today. Today, I have a very special guest from all the way around the world. She also happens to be an Eleni. Um, and we're going to talk about some really interesting topics in regards to mental health and dieting and chronic you know, illness and things like that. Um, So I just wanted to put a trigger warning on this episode. Um, If you are someone who is currently struggling with disordered eating or an eating disorder and feel that hearing things that may be triggering in regards to eating disorders or weight loss may be harmful for you right now, then I would suggest you pause this episode and come back and listen when you are ready. Um, But if you feel that you are able to listen to this episode and, you know, learn some cool new things, then please stay along with us. And so without further ado, Eleni, welcome. Well, hello. I'm just so excited you can pronounce my name properly. (laughs) I love it. Welcome. Welcome. I'm so excited. We've been like Insta friends for a while. So I'm so happy that you're here. And we're currently recording where it's like 9.30 p.m. in New York. And I'm not sure where what time it is by you. Well, it's 12.26 p.m. on Friday, the next day. So, so I live you're, in the future. You're coming from the future. <laughs> I can tell, like I always joke, and let me tell you, it's all going well for you. Yeah. You <laughs> Thank <Okay>. you. <laughs> so I, Eleni has a really interesting story. And of course, I'm going to leave all of her info in the description box, all about where you can find out how you could work with her. Um, and her social media handles and things like that. Um, But just give us a little bit of a background about you. And then definitely, I want you to get into your personal story. Um, And I don't want to spoil the progression of it. But you know, what we talked about. Okay, sure. Well, I'm, I'm an anti diet health and mindset coach. And really, where I come into this space is I'm just through my own personal experience is I just want to help women snap out of diet groundhog day. We just get caught in that grind and I was stuck in it for over 30 years and it just, it steals our lives. And, um, you know, I'm just all about helping women now. I call it embracing health without all the rules. I love that so much. (laughs) Thank you. It's so true. They don't make us healthier. They make people, they make an industry wealthier. Yep. They're the ones with all the money. I think it's estimated that the diet industry will be making like billions of dollars within the next like five years. So generally, uh, as someone who lives in Australia and watches a lot of the international posts, most American sites will only publish that it's like a $70 billion industry, which is literally only America. Yeah. It's $220 billion. Wow, that is disgusting and insane. And one big part of that is the wellness industry, which people don't, and this is something I didn't spot, is a part of diet culture. Yep, 100%. Diet industry. And uh, again, it can only exist by elevating certain bodies over others. And um, it's not good. No, definitely not. And unfortunately, a lot of times, and this is something that you personally experienced, where you think that you're pursuing something, another diet to like improve your health, where you were very, very ill, and it ended up just making you even more unhealthy, more ill. And I definitely want you to uh, tell everyone your story about 
how you found out that you were sick, but how long it took you to realize that you were ill and all the things that you kind of went through. Yes, I think it's really important to sort of go back even a little bit further because um, like I started dieting at age 11. And the the reason it's so important to highlight that is because I didn't realize that, but I was actually setting myself up to be more susceptible to an eating disorder later on in life. And this is something that we're not really talking about. I think we're starting to hear it coming up a bit now, but all these parents thinking they're helping their children by teaching them about sugar and fat and everything is actually priming them to be heavier because, and also susceptible to eating disorders. And, uh, didn't show up for me until 30 years later, but it happened. And uh, as I was saying, in one of the times that um, I had one of my successful weight loss things, because look, at the reality is now I understand this, that my body, I'm five foot 10. So when I was 10 years old and I started to gain weight, it was because I was going to grow tall. Correct. And yeah. if people didn't interfere with that, yeah. with the fat phobic narrative, I would have just allowed my body to gain weight job. and then I would have grown yep. and I would have maintained my ideal weight, which was to not be super thin, but to have curves and boobs and have my, you know, yeah. heritage yeah. all over my body, which I'm <laughs> unusual because I'm tall and fair, but that's my mum. She was blonde and blue eyes. But um <laughs> So then years of losing weight, regaining weight, losing weight, regaining weight. I was 35. I'd lost heaps of weight. And um, I thought, out of self-love, I'm going to take these naturally large breasts that now look really saggy, and I'm going to go and get breast implants and a lift. And, um, you know, I just, I loved it. I thought I looked great. And I was just convinced I was just going to maintain this weight now and everything was going to be great. I had my non-gravitational boobs and... My best life was ahead of me. And um, it was three months after surgery that I started to get digestive issues. But it coincided with me being in Bali and I got Bali belly over there. So for a while there, I thought it was because I had uh, a parasite or something like that. So just to put this into perspective, I'm 47 in a few months. So this was... This was over 12 years ago. And um, anyway, long, painful story short, for seven and a half years, I watched my body fall apart around me. And I had, I I didn't know it at the time, but I had breast implant illness. And I, my body gained heaps of weight. And uh, it wasn't until years later, it didn't matter what I did. I, I really struggled to, try and even my old techniques to try and get my weight to drop I couldn't do it Mm. and my integrative doctor which I think you call a functional doctor explained Mm. to me was that my body was holding on to that weight to protect my brain and my organs because my implants were leaking inside of me without a rupture when they came out they had massive air bubbles in them wow and I was getting poisoned but we live in a culture that tells us that thin is healthy. So I was so insistent on trying to lose this weight because I wanted to be healthy. And I just believe that as I was going to all these doctors, 
and not one of them could help me. And in fact, they triggered a childhood trauma of mine, which was no one's listening to me and no one believes me. And this, because I'm sitting there and I'm telling them, I feel sick, my hair's falling out, my body's in pain. I ended up by the end with fibromyalgia. I had Hashimoto's, um, my eyesight, my night vision was horrible. My ears would ring. Like there was so many things going wrong with my body. And every single one of them was like, and I'm talking specialists, everything were like, no, everything seems right. Oh, we can see your thyroid's a bit off. Oh, you got Hashimoto's. That might explain the, the weight gain and the hair loss. And I got to the point after I'd got my results from yet another gastroenterologist who told me we've run all the tests and there's nothing wrong with you. I would have so much severe pain on the bottom left-hand side of my abdomen between my stomach and my spleen and my pancreas that I fainted from the pain once. I was hospitalized three times for it. And in the end, he said to me, we can't find anything wrong, Eleni. Um, I think your tummy is sad and I recommend an antidepressant. Hmm. And that's when I went, no, I refuse to be gaslit. Yeah. This is not... This is not psychological. There is something physically wrong with my body. And that's where I entered into the wellness space. And the door I went through was low-carb, high-fat, which progressed to even more restrictive diets because at the start, so at that stage, my anxiety was through the roof. I was having anxiety attacks. Um, And... I noticed that when I ate low carb, I felt better. Mm. And I thought, and I realized that when I don't drink alcohol, I feel better. So I started to make these tweaks to my diet, which seemed to give me instant uh, rewards. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie about that. I did feel better at the start. And then I started to lose some weight. And I was like, oh, this is obviously really good. This is working for me. But what would happen is, and I know you're going to laugh, you're going to just nod away to this because we've all been there. You lose a bit of weight and then it goes back up again. And then you go more restrictive and you go a bit more down and then whatever. And then I started fasting again, which was something I was introduced to in 2011 because I worked for a genetics company. And one of the geneticists told me how it was really good for your health, but all the research was on men. But uh, I'd started doing fasting back then, but I'd stopped. And I thought, oh, I'll get back into fasting. Yeah. And that slippery slope. Yeah. I went sliding down. It's addictive. I was up to monthly five-day fasts. That's so scary. And this is at the same time as you being ill. I was so sick. And what was happening was I was like living this duality where on one side I was like losing weight and I thought I felt so good and everything's great. And then on the other side, my hair's falling out. I feel so sick. My anxiety is through the roof. I don't even know it anymore because I'm so used to it. It's just become my normal. It was your norm. Yeah. Right. That I couldn't even tell that I was so wound up. Like I remember one of, when I was a manager, like in one of my jobs before I got out of corporate, he'd, one of my team, um, one of the guys in my team said, do you have like um, a, a tick 
because apparently my my eye was twitching I didn't even know it because I was so wound up that it just became my normal and um yeah it just it was really just this time where I remember um I was 80 hours into a 120 hour fast so that's days and I felt something change in my throat and that was my thyroid wow because I pushed my weight down which is later on I found out I shouldn't have done that my body wanted to hold the fat as it was, you were saying it was protecting you of this illness it was protecting my organs and because yeah. I over I thought I knew more than my body and I was taking this external advice and I was like well no I'm just not going to eat these inflammation causing foods and I'm going to stay off dairy and I'm going to stay off gluten and all the other badge of honor of the wellness industry that you can do I didn't drink alcohol I didn't eat sugar I made 99% of everything I ate. It was organic. It was so privileged. Like, I just cannot explain. Yeah. Like, this is things that not everyone can do or access. And I wasn't getting healthier, but I wasn't acknowledging it. Until I had a friend, he was staying in my spare room. And at the start, he said, when he first moved in with me, he thought I was amazing. He's like, you're just this high-performing person. You've mm-hmm. got this high-paying job. You're out there. You're, you're doing that to this level. You're hitting all your bonuses and your targets. And then you come home and you're studying to go into your coaching business where you're coaching people on the side. You're writing a, um, a book which was Keto 100, where I was sharing the questions, you know, I was answering the 100 questions people have going keto, which I didn't publish because I realized it was the love child of my eating disorder. Thank goodness. But it's, it's so insane. And I want everyone who's listening to understand that she was doing what she thought was healthy for her, but it was causing her more harm than good. And we were talking about this prior to us recording, but there's so much misinformation on social media and on YouTube. And, you know, even in the mainstream media where they highlight these diets as a, as a way to heal inflammation or, you know, polycystic ovary syndrome or, um, you know, whatever it may be. And, you know, when they say things like anti-inflammatory foods or, you know, things like that, it's just not, it doesn't make sense. And it's kind of crazy because when you think about it, if you're going keto and you're cutting out all carbs, that means that you're cutting out grains, whole grains that contain healthy fibers and like anti-inflammatory properties, not saying that it's going to compensate for medication, you know, but you're cutting out the stuff that is important for you. So the amount of trauma that your body went through during this time was not only physically must have been depleting, but mentally depleting. 100%. I realized, I forgot to say, it was like, if we go back, this is now three years, the part with my friend who was staying with me. Yeah. Yeah, two years, I forgot to mention, I ended up getting my implants out. 
I, it was at the time that I had got diagnosed with Hashimoto's and I got onto my social media where at the time I had, I think, 25,000 followers. I, I lost a lot of followers when I stopped keto and healed my eating disorder, but that's another story. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, weight loss and keto are, are buzzwords they that really, really blow up and social I, media. Look, I was always one who was pro trying to figure out how much, how much, more, much vegetables you can eat to stay in ketosis, not how little. Like I just always understood you needed vegetables. You, this is not something you can to dodge on. So I, I was, I thought I was being healthy in this very yeah. unhealthy place. But I had said I had Hashimoto's and then a woman I used to work with reached out and said, hey, do you still have your implants? And then she went on to tell me about breast implant wow. illness. Eleni, straight away, I was like, this is it. That's I knew insane. my body was fighting something. I thought it was food. It wasn't. It was the implants, which makes sense. Yeah. I took them out 11 weeks post-surgery. Mind you, expensive and long surgery. Right. Four and a half hour surgery to get them taken out. Really? And they make it sound like it's so easy just to like pop them in. Yeah, it is easy to pop them in. By taking them and- out. The taking them out because you have to do it correctly. They have to do a full capsulectomy. They can't just cut into the skin and pop it out. They have to cut because the body creates a capsule around it and you have to take that up with it. Otherwise, you're leaving all of this contamination in the body. Um, it was full on. And I, I worked out I've spent over $50,000 on my body. Wow. Putting them in, all the doctors, all the specialists, and then taking them out again. That's crazy. 11 weeks post-surgery, my Hashimoto's was in remission and it's never come This is over three years later now. But what I didn't identify was that, shouldn't that have been obvious? My cause to my health issues were my implants. I took them out immediately. The fibromyalgia lifted. I could now walk upstairs without holding onto rails and walking up like a 95, my 95-year-old grandfather. (laughs) You know, everything that, because to what I really identified now is when you get to the cause, the real cause, and you take that out, you heal really quickly, right? It shouldn't take all these months and years of taking vitamins and collagen powders and this and that and whatever to get your results. No, this was immediate. But I didn't make the connection because I was still in my trauma response. Yeah. And, and also was- you're, you were being denied that you were even experiencing this. And I feel like as professionals, they should have thought like, oh, this person has had surgery, has had breast implants. Like, is that maybe causing all of this like inflammation in the body? No, obviously okay. they didn't. I still now at this stage to this date now, the FDA does recognize that breast implant illness does exist. Correct. So I was interviewed in Australia on a program called The Project. And um, I was giving my story with my good friend who I helped her realize that she had breast implant illness too. Wow. And was, they cut to the president of the Plastic Surgery Association for his comment. He was also my doctor, my surgeon, my implanting surgeon. Wow. 
And he stood there and said 99.9% of the time it's fine. It's generally because of the way that they were put in where there's the problems. And I was like, well, buddy, you're the you're one. The one. So try another story. This isn't all just because of all the people who fly to Thailand to get them put in. This is a oh. issue with this product. I still will tell doctors that I've had breast implant illness and up and only my current doctor. Hmm. And he said, but how do I ask people if they've got breast implants without being offensive? And I said, just ask, do you have any foreign devices in your body? Yeah. Because it still can happen whether you have marina or you have anything inside your body that's not meant to be there. You could cause these health issues. So it's just not for implants, but implants is obviously a huge piece of it. It's like a foreign, so body, foreign, foreign object. Yeah, just any foreign object in your body. We need to, we need to have these conversations. Yeah, of course. As I learned, I can eat the cleanest, I hate that word, the cleanest diets or the whatever. It's not going to change it no. if that's the problem because it's never the problem. And, you know, and fast forward two years later now, and I have just become this trauma response where I just kept myself so busy and so focused on my diet and so stripping out things. And um, my friend turned around and he said, are you, and this was day five of a five-day migraine that I kept going to work. And he said, are you going to work tomorrow? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I have to go. He's like, but you're not well. Mm. I'm like, no, 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 I've got this appointment lunch. I have to go. I couldn't see a way out. Yeah. I just couldn't see it because I was so riddled with anxiety. I was so unwell. I had dieted my body down to a place which was so unhealthy and with my clean, perfect diet. And he, again, took hours to convince me that I wasn't well and I needed to stay home. And it was there that I didn't realise at the time, but I'd never go back to work again or that life again. And it took me 10 days because I was running, I think, on fumes Yeah. to just stop and then the chronic fatigue hit. Mm. And I so, just destroyed my body. So when was it that you realised, like, I have an eating disorder? It was when I went to see my mum took me to her doctor, the one I have now, and she's mm. really great. And she wanted my, I started to talk to her and um, she could, uh, she could identify the chronic anxiety immediately. She said, I just think you have chronic anxiety. You have chronic fatigue. Mm. She said, you have an eating disorder. And it took her two hours over two separate appointments to get me to a point to take uh, Valdoxin, which is what I'm taking for my anxiety because my orthorexia was not going to let me do it I think back to the conversation now and I'm like no no I'll just take CBD oil and I'll, I do my meditation and I eat properly and she's like she wasn't having any of it and she just well that she sounds like a phenomenal doctor number one and number two can you explain to everyone what orthorexia is sure orthorexia is a very unhealthy relationship with being healthy. Mm -hmm. So to the point that, um, like I, I, 
I think I mentioned, like I, I made 99% of everything I ate. I would rather literally, I had a conference in Sydney at work. I put in my request for my food for breakfast. They serve me Greek yogurt with berries and some kind of granola thing on top. And I pushed that plate away and I said, uh, is this organic? Mm. I can't eat this yogurt. I, I don't even know what this is. And I chose to do a five-day fast and not eat, then risk eating that food. Berries with yogurt. So I just want everyone to understand that so many people especially in the wellness and health space, including dietitians and personal trainers and health coaches probably have orthorexia and they don't even realize it. So this obsession with like always eating healthy and eating clean and, you know, not eating any processed food and only having, you know, healthy fats and whatever you name it that disguises itself as being health centered is really taken to the extreme where if you can't, you know, go to a restaurant and just eat like regular food or go to a family event and just eat the food that's there. That is an unhealthy relationship with food. And that is an eating disorder. Eating disorders aren't just like, you know, binge eating and bulimia and anorexia to the point where you can't even stand up and you're so thin. Obviously, we've I've spoken on the podcast about the different, you know, anyone in any size body could have an eating disorder or disordered eating. And so a lot of times, you may not associate someone with having an eating disorder, but orthorexia, as you said, you wouldn't even eat berries with granola, which seems like a healthy breakfast, you know, balanced carbs, fat, protein. Um, but it was so scary to you that you would rather just not eat and do your fast. Yeah, yeah. totally. And uh, I also didn't think I could be an orthorexic because I didn't look like a fitness model. Mm. Because we do have, and that's what you're saying about the anorexia and things like that. Now, anorexia and orthorexia do have some crossovers because mm -hmm. there are rituals around food and what we Correct. can, and we end up just eating barely any food. Because, you know, it starts off with you take out processed carbohydrates and then you strip it back a bit more and then you're not eating nightshades, then you're not eating seeds, then I wasn't eating eggs, tuna, things like that. Like, you know, depending on who you're... Because what happens is you don't like take something out and then put something else back in. You're constantly stripping it back, stripping it back until you're left with this small amount of food that you're allowing yourself to eat. And what I've learned to do within my own um, healing is to find the words to articulate this space because I think we get to find a conversation around health food that hasn't been completely um, ambushed by diet culture. Because even when I was coming out, I'm like, oh, but I still want to be healthy. Oh, but then my brain would go, because healthy yeah. would be this, 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 and that. And there was this really, and this is where the mindset coach of where I was going into my training of becoming a mindset coach to understand what was going on with me. And I realized it's not, and this is what I tell my, my clients and students all the time. Diet culture doesn't own healthy food. The wellness industry do not own healthy food. We own it. They own the negative meaning they give all other food. They're the ones that make this food bad. 
this one poison, this one whatever. Mm -hmm. They own that. And it's really important we separate that conversation because we want to be, I want to be healthy. That was where it all came from. That's where I was able to be manipulated because I was vulnerable because I was sick. I was vulnerable because I started dieting at a young age. I was vulnerable because I never had a relationship with food in my body that wasn't traumatized by diet culture. And I think, I mean, what I've, what I've learned through my years with clients and just being on social media in the anti-diet space, most women, and I'm not saying that men don't experience this at, at, all, at all, but, you know, it, it, I mostly work with women. Um, most women who come to me with disordered eating or an eating disorder later on in life, we're dieting from as young as eight years old, like, like myself and like you. And like you said, normally the ages of nine, 10 around there is when you're, when kids get like they, their body deposits fat around their abdomen and they get like little chunky and that's preparing them to start to grow. So it's like storing energy. Our bodies are very smart. They know what to do with food. So you see a spike in the weight of the child because it's preparing them to grow. And like you said, like if you would have just not dieted, not worried about your weight, you would have just been fine. And wherever your body would have been, it may not have been, you know, a size zero with a six pack, but you wouldn't have gone through that whole trajectory of your whole entire life. And it's so crazy to me because you, you've like worked in like corporate in the corporate world. And now you're here and you've done so many things, but the defining factor for so much of your life has been dieting. So you went to that, 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 um, um, work trip in Sydney, it wasn't like, Oh, I went to a work trip for a cool event or, you know, whatever, you were thought about the granola and the the Greek yogurt and how you couldn't eat it. And that's what I think people don't realize that when it impacts your day-to-day life is it takes away from your experience. So if you're at your kid's birthday and you're worried about eating pizza, because that's what you're serving the kids, or if you're at, you know, a friend's birthday party and you're worried about the bread on the table, like, that's the food isn't the problem. It never is the problem. It's just your relationship with it and how you treat yourself around it. And when you tell yourself like, no, I can't be bad. When you start using that language, that's problematic. And I don't care what your weight is, what your BMI is, what you look like. You deserve to have a healthy relationship with food and you deserve to live your life like a normal person and not be so preoccupied with these thoughts. So, like, if we think back, go back to that Sydney event, like, there was work night events, everyone's drinking alcohol, whatever. No. I wasn't eating. I would stand there. I would be completely separate to everybody else, and then I would go home early. And um, and it just was no way to live. But I thought I was being healthy. I felt sorry for these people who were being so terrible to their bodies. How could you do that? Well, now I still choose not to drink alcohol. It doesn't work well with my for my mental health. It's an active choice that I but make. But that's different. That that is the right reason to not drink alcohol. Correct. And now, if I'm at an event and people are drinking and everything, I'm not separate. Yeah. Because it's 
it's different. It's coming from a different place and a different energy. And I can still be involved. And like, and now when people like my siblings still ask me, I haven't drank since 2016, right? Yeah. And they'll sort of, do you want a glass of champagne? Um, I'll just go, still not drinking. But you know, <laughs> but I don't get upset with it in the in the past. I'd be like, why can't people respect my choices? Why do we have to always do? And it's like, again, that's that anxiety coming in because you're not actually being authentic with yourself yeah you are trying to control your body in everything you're trying to control your hunger your appetite everything and that's when I was saying like you know I think a massive piece that I don't think we talk about enough is that when we go in and we start to suppress our hunger and fullness cues, mm-hmm. we suppress our positive and negative emotions. And they, like you can't just pick and choose and go, I'm going to switch this off, but I'm going to keep that. And I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to do that. No, it doesn't work that way. Yep. And this is such, our emotions are critical data for us to make decisions. And this is where it feeds into that anxiety. Yeah. And our overwhelm. And our inability to make decisions. And it's all coming back from that place of restricting our food and not allowing us. And, you know, I always say, like, the way we do one thing in one area of our life, we do it in all. Yep. And if we don't think we believe to feed the most, one of our most primal needs, which is our hunger, Mm -hmm. why would we think we deserve other things in other areas of our life? Yeah, it's all it's all interconnected. And so when you went to your mother's doctor, and she finally convinced you that you had an eating disorder, how did you get into intuitive eating? So I from there, uh, I call it the unraveling. (laughs) Um, I, I, I describe it as the decision was taken away from me. I was bedridden. And I was laying there realising that everything that I thought was healthy, I had to accept, got me there, bedridden, with chronic anxiety and chronic fatigue. And and I was at my thinnest. And I'll admit, even at that thin point with my underwear falling off me and feeling, you know, you're so hollow, you can feel your belly button pressing against your spine that I actually had to admit that I liked that feeling because somewhere along the way I had been convinced that that was good and that feeling had got me there. And I just had to go, you need to start changing it up. And um, I know you can relate to this, but I had no appetite because of the anxiety. And And you uh, suppressed it for so long. So long. I had totally lost connection with my hunger and fullness cues that I thought hungry was when I'd start to get a headache and I was clenching my jaw because I couldn't feel anything else. And I want everyone to realize that even though she talks about herself being in this very physically thin state, you can still experience this disconnect of your hunger and satiety cues and feeling hungry at a larger size body too. It's, this is just her personal experience. So I don't want everyone who's listening to think that that would only happen if you were in like a very thin state. Absolutely not. I'm so glad you highlighted that because our body shape doesn't influence 
these things. Our behaviors influence them and they will express it at any point. I also really want to highlight, I don't work with eating disorders, okay? That's not my lane. That's your lane. And I think it's really important that as professionals in this space, we realize what we can and we can't do. I work with disordered eating. I work with mindset. I work with understanding the biological response of the body to be able to get you to a point where you can reclaim your body and your life again. When you have an eating disorder, you need to get the proper help. And I did start seeing a psychologist and talk therapy Mm -hmm. did help. Um, But a lot of it um, for me was, and this is just the way my brain works, that I could, I would, I would just go, I'd say that and go, it was like the unraveling, I call it. You pull on one thread and the whole thing comes apart. When you pull the right thread, it all just happens. And I just had to allow my body to trust it. And I realized that if I wanted to get out of that bed, well, I had to eat more. Yeah. So even if I was hungry or not, and I still have this rule today. That if it's nine o'clock and I, around nine, 9.45, whatever, and I still don't feel hungry, I go and eat something. And if you ever see me post like a piece of toast with one egg on it, that's that Which, day. By the way, you need to follow her on Instagram if you guys aren't already. She posts amazing food and like so good. Not just because it's like from my culture, like you post a lot of like Greek recipes and things, but like you have, I love it. I think you have a garden. Yeah, so like I said, my mum passed away last year. And uh, so I've chose to move in with my dad. And um, so he's got this amazing garden and we are, we just get along so well. And he's so funny. I call him the Greek Cypriot version of Gene Wilder. Right, he looks like Gene Wilder. And uh, we just have so much fun. And he, um, so like last night. You put him on your stories too. He's really funny. Oh, I, people love him more than me. Like, I, I know this. I accept <laughs> it. I get it. Everyone loves Luga. But, um, look, we have fun together. And, um, oh, but food is so important. It's such a part of our culture. And this is another yes. thing that diet culture wants you to reject is your culture. And the irony yeah. is we're from the Mediterranean. <laughs> yeah. Yet you're trying mm. to tell me not to eat lentils and not to eat legumes where this is the crux of a European, like a Cypriot diet and a Greek diet in the Middle East. It's just crazy. And um, so, yeah, I just had to, I still have this rule today if I'm not hungry um, because I describe, if I can share the analogy I use, really helps with my clients as well. Is like hunger is like a friend who comes to visit every day, right? Now, If everything's functioning well, every morning they come knock on the door, you open it, you say, come on in and you eat together. But if you decide to start to fast or skip breakfast or do things like that, it doesn't mean your hunger's gone away. Your hunger is still at that door and sometimes will knock where you feel hungry but you're choosing not to open the door, but eventually they'll stop knocking. Mm-hmm. And this is where you hear people all the time. And I used to say too, well, once I've now started fasting, I'm not even hungry in the morning, creating the illusion that you thought you were unnecessarily eating, but it's not true. Of course, you're hungry. Your hunger's just at the door and it's not knocking. Yeah. Now, once you start opening that door and inviting them back in again, they'll realize that they can knock and they'll come in and you'll answer it. The other thing that will stop them from knocking at the door 
well, your, your hunger is when you feel stressed. Yep. If you're too busy, I'm going through, I'm grieving the loss of my mum. Yeah. You know, she diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. She never smoked in her life and triple negative breast cancer in August. And we lost her in December. You know, that's, that's great. Yeah. You can't go, you're not going to, you understand that your hunger is going to go. But I also know that if I don't acknowledge that this is going on and then just go, well, just eat something small is supporting my body because I run the risk. And this is the thing you break your body. It takes a long time to heal. Yeah. In over two years that I've had to rest to get over the chronic fatigue. Yeah. And I run exercise. I now have to drink diluted Gatorade to keep my blood pressure over a hundred, um, because it just my metabolism just got so slowed down so much, and it affected my blood pressure everything. And that's something that's so important because when people realize, like, oh, I want a quick fix, I just want to drop the weight and this and that, or I want to get this weight off, you don't just selectively lose fat. You know, your body doesn't just say, and, and what I, I've said it on the podcast, I say it to my clients, metabolizing fat into energy. So like using your fat stores is very taxing on the body. The body will actually prefer to burn muscle before fat because it's easier to convert to glycogen, which is what, if you're not taking in enough carbs. So you, during this time when you've lost so much weight, you lost so much muscle mass. And when you don't have that muscle mass, it slows down your metabolism. So it's like this whole thing. So even though she's recovered for, for years, she's still struggling with the physical ramifications of all that dieting and all that weight loss that she had, that she thought she was doing in the name of health, but it, you know, put you in a very perilous place. Well, I think the to realize is that what is muscle muscle mass? We I assumed it was oh okay, I'll lose a bit of muscle off my legs. I you know I carry a lot of muscle naturally. Not just that. It's your organs. <laughs> I'm not laughing because it's funny, but it's people forget. Oh, that's because no, no, not forget, honey. We are never taught this. You don't see the biggest loser going. Oh, congratulations, you've lost a bit of your thyroid today, a little bit of your heart and your lungs. Congratulations. Yeah. We're not your heart is a muscle. Yeah, what's your muscle? It's muscle tissue, your lung, all of this. It's yeah. muscle tissue. And I had to take two years to recover all of that. Yeah. And this is why our body's first response to intentional weight loss is to gain fat because that's our energy source it's protecting us yeah and we've just also got to accept that the thin ideal was created to sell products yes because you know whenever you like when you look at like ancient greek um sculptures and paintings and like ancient rome all the women were curvy yeah. Like they had the little bit of the belly and everything. And I realized I was like, they're not the like thin, 
rail thin, you know, supermodels that we see on magazines. And now, you know, with plastic surgery, everyone has a flat stomach, but a big butt. And somehow magically fat is not stored anywhere else except for the butt, which is just very, very, very unlikely. A very small percentage of women have bodies like that. You know, most women, if you have a big butt, you're going to have fat elsewhere as well. It's just how it works. You know, like me to stand up and spin for you. Because I've got that album. I mean, I joke because my family is from, my roots are from Cyprus, which is where Aphrodite is washed up from the beach. So I'm like literally descended from God, a goddess. That is amazing. I, I just wanted to throw that in there. But yeah. um, you know, it's funny. Before my parents decided to name me Eleni after my grandmother, they wanted to name me Aphrodite. Oh, <laughs> That's which beautiful. I'm glad. I mean, I prefer Eleni. <laughs> yeah, because, well, I've got a friend who's, a, we call her Afro. Or yeah. Eddie. Yeah, Eleni, yeah. So I'm named after my grandmother too, but it's my mum's mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. So you notice the spelling of my name is different? Yes. It's E-double-L-E-N-I-E. I love that mom, spelling. I'm like, I, I'm not. I'd have to name you after her, but I'm not spelling it the same. That is so funny. So in Greek, how do you write it? So it's still Eleni. I, I don't write. I, I can't. The novelty. I'm the fourth kid. By the time I came along, the novelty of teaching children another language wore off. Wow. <laughs> so, I so went to Greek afternoon school for eight years. After American school, I was sent to Greek afternoon school. No, I did one hour of tutoring a week. And our household was English speaking because my mum came to Australia when she was two years old and my dad was uh, 13. Oh, wow. I wish I could speak Greek because it would be nice. It's very hard to learn as an adult. I understand more than I can speak. So don't try and talk about me in front of me. (laughs) I'm actually, you know, I'm, we spoke English at home. My grand, my grandfather came from Greece. My grandmother was born here and her family Guys, I'm sorry we're like going off on a tangent here, but bear with us. Um, She was born here. And so my mom, you know, didn't speak that much Greek. So I could understand a lot more than I can speak, but I could still read and write. It's just the understanding is a little bit difficult. Like I never forgot how to read and write it because, you know, I was in school for so long. But definitely like I would like to learn it, like relearn it better. But I lived in Cyprus for a year in 2000 and it would have been really handy to speak Greek because they yes, all thought, I'm, cool, I'm five foot ten. They all thought I was either Yugoslavian or Russian and most of those were ladies of the night, which led to very <laughs> interesting conversations. No, I didn't leave my high-paying job in Australia to come here and be a stripper or a prostitute. But thank you. That's great. I'll be good. Thanks. That's fine. Um, oh, my yeah, goodness. No, it was quite funny. But um but, you know, look, look at us. And I guess this is the thing. We've gone in a tangent because even though we're both removed from our, you know, our parents' homelands and our grandparents, our culture is really strong. And this is one thing that diet culture wants people to do. Like if you're Spanish, they want you to not like PAA. If you're this, don't like this. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the wellness industry and this kind of food is and this cleanliness is actually all based in eugenics and about yeah. creating this master race, which is all in deeply entrenched in white supremacy. And when you yeah. start to understand this, they can't exist without rejecting every other culture. Yeah. And, you know, to make you embarrassed that your food smells different or looks different to, and this is why so many bodybuilders will have 
boiled like boiled chicken with boiled rice. What you're telling me you can't put herbs on that? Of course you can. That's not going to change the caloric intake or the nutritional value. In fact, it'll probably lift it. Yeah. It's not about that. And yeah. this is where it's so important to understand that we've been, you know, born into this culture where all these ideas have been placed into our subconscious without our knowledge or consent. Which is why it's so second nature for people to think these things. And that's something I'm sure you work with your clients as well, but it's like, it's not your fault that you got to this point. It's their fault. Yeah. It's the fault of diet culture. It's, and it's, it's traumatizing and we have to acknowledge that. A hundred percent. And this type of trauma relates to other parts of our lives as well. And, you know, I know we spoke a bit about like mental health, but it's definitely, it goes hand in hand. And so when we wonder why are the population is suffering so much with mental health, but also suffering with other health related issues. And then they keep talking about the obesity quote unquote epidemic I'm like, maybe if we stopped dieting and started just eating real food and just listening to our bodies, it would have made things a lot better for everyone. 100%. Because like, although I do, um, like I think intuitive eating is great. I don't actually, I teach my my student, I've got an online course called the Ditching Academy Kickstart Project. And the whole thing is the first, it's six modules, but the first three modules is to bust through this diet culture like i've got to clear all that crap out first right and make space and uh literally from the first module people stop binge eating right and by module two we're looking into eating disorders because to me so many people don't even realize they have them yeah like you said how many health fitspo people are orthorexic and have no idea they're sick there's doctors who are carnivore who don't think they've got an eating disorder, yet they fit the profile. So to me, my module two is to help people identify if they have them, because if they do, I need to get you into the right help and care. Yeah. Um, Because it's so important. But um, I want to be able to help people to go beyond intuitive eating, because to me, sometimes as someone, I guess I'm just really... uh, you know, as someone who had gone through the eating disorder and everything, like when people ask me, what diet are you on? Or, you know, whatever. For me to say I'm an intuitive eater, I still feel that's diet adjacent because it's somehow needing to explain something that fundamentally is our basic right, that I'm just going to eat. Yeah. doesn't need a name. I don't need to, conf- I don't need to be associated with a group or a style of eating. Which is part of the diet culture cult mentality is being associated with what diet are you on? And, and even though intuitive eating is not a diet, putting yourself under that bracket could kind of feel a little bit diety. Like I said, it's a bit diet adjacent still because we're still feeling this need to name something that doesn't need a name. Yeah. It just doesn't need it. Like I just get hungry. I figure out what I want to eat. I eat it. I get on with my life. Is that intuitive eating or is that just what we were born to do? Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes I, you know, I go to the toilet. I don't call myself an intuitive toilet user. 
And you know, sometimes <laughs> I get it wrong too. I really think I need to go. And then I sit down and barely nothing comes out. Oops, I got that wrong. You know, I still don't know. I'm still learning. <laughs> no, but, but you're uh, right. And I like that. And I think that that's an important point. And part of, you know, when you, when you hear about Weight Watchers or, you know, there's this diet called like Whole30 oh, where it's like, you know, and so it's like people feel very, attached to like soul cycle or whatever peloton like everyone just oh am I are you on a peloton are you on this it's like everyone wants to just be associated with something to like give them that higher morality like oh well you know I have my peloton like which is great I mean if that's what you like that's what you like but it all falls under the same thing totally and if we start to pull on the thread of all of that stuff Mm -hmm. is you know, I realize because a part of a lot of the work I do is to teach you to identify your own fat phobia. Yep. Interpersonal fat phobia, because this is what, you know, it's one thing, and this is one big massive gap in intuitive eating, which is their first principle, which is reject diets. Yeah. Don't think that there's another diet around the corner, know that they don't work. Okay, that's great, but that's not, that's actually not the only thing. You need to, and I needed to, and this is what's worked really well with the people I work with, is understand why did Mm -hmm. I want to diet? What is the construct? What is the paradigm? Where are we stuck in this? Where did it come from? Because if not, you're going to sit there feeling vulnerable the whole time because you still have the desire and it's still going to make you feel inadequate. Something that I like to remind people is not I'm not anti-weight loss. I am anti-intentional weight loss. If you heal your relationship with food, you are balancing out your meals, you're eating consistently throughout the day, you find joyful movement and you happen to lose weight, that's what your body wanted to do. Your body is smart. It's going to do what it's supposed to do. But that's not something that I measure or I have my clients measure. That's not something that I focus on with myself. And so people are like, well, I, I want to lose weight and realizing where that's coming from. Okay. You want to be healthy, Well, what does that mean? You know, and then breaking that down into the different counterpoints and saying, well, are you sleeping enough? How's your stress? How's your water? How's your movement? Are you eating consistently throughout the day? Are your meals balanced? Are you eating a variety of food groups? You know, and it's so much more in depth than just saying, I want to lose weight. And you can understand why people want to do it because that's what we're told. And this is where I'm saying like through that unraveling my own fat phobia, I realized that I would tell people that I was on a certain diet or something, I was eating clean, I was all about this. Mm-hmm. Because if I was being honest with myself, Eleni, I wanted them to know, see this body, uh, I, I see what you see. I know I'm I'm fixing it. Please know I'm fixing it. I'm not accepting this. Like I probably I wasn't even, I didn't even look fat. <laughs> you were probably and like normal internalizing the fatness because we have so much fat phobia and body dysmorphia and now we have snapchat dysmorphia because so people are so used to seeing their face with a filter that they can't feel it's it's sad and that's why like i post uh like yesterday i posted like a funny picture in the car and i wrote no filter because people look different than what they look like on social media 
Yeah. And, you know, I think that it, I would really love to have you back on for another episode because I feel like this is like a whole other thing. But yeah. like, you know, people are so worried about like what they look like. And I'm not saying don't to post like terrible photos of yourself that look horrible that you hate. But I'm saying like, it's okay. Like if your skin rolls are there or, you know, your butt doesn't look small or, you know, whatever it might be mm -hmm. like however you are meant to be is wonderful and you don't need to face tune and auto whatever tune kind of thing and now with these filters it changes your nose it changes your lips and like you know I'm, I'm not against like if someone wants to do surgery and that's what they want that's their decision that has nothing to do with me but it changes like if that's what you think that you look like and you have like, it makes your eyes bigger and your lips bigger and your face smaller and your cheekbones more chiseled. It's just distorting who you are. It's, it's really sad. So I have this saying, I fight the culture, not the player. Yep. Right? It's not the player's fault. Mm -mm. When you're in there, you can't see past it. I'm turning 47 in January, okay? I don't have Botox. And I will not go. People can't see me. This is audio. But well, I'll she looks time. phenomenal. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think you look phenomenal, regardless if you were 40, if you were turning 47 or not. And, you know, that's like I said, like everyone has their, you know, per preference and stuff, but feeling the need to change your body, whether it's losing weight or, you know, getting fillers or getting breast implants, where is that? desire coming from why do you want that and because most of society tells you you can't get fat and you can't age which are two things that are impossible <laughs> exactly exactly 100 percent um you know i just think i i really uh like i can't wait to go gray would have helped with this regrowth in this you know long lockdown we're going through in melbourne right now but um you know i you know i've got five nieces and I, I chose not to have children myself. And um, I want them to know it's okay to age. I lost my mum when my mum just turned 69. Yeah. Age is a gift. It's not yes. a right. You know, I want my face to feel real. Now, in saying that, that doesn't mean, like you were saying before, that you just go, because there's this misconception that it's like, if I'm not going to diet, then I'm letting myself go. No, I'm not. I'm just letting go of dieting. I actually can now authentically care for my body in a way that I never could before while that was dictating my beliefs. Correct. And then letting go of the need to look young and to not age enables me to properly care for myself. Like I've got, I use tretinoin at night because it's over the counter. It's, you know, prescribed by a doctor and actually works. I'm not going to go give money to an industry that sells products that don't work. Correct, 100%. So, and, I do that. and I've got my, I see you with your roller and I've yeah. got my LED red light at night, you know, I just, and it does work. It helps. I made sure I got a good one and this and that. It doesn't mean you give up on caring about yourself. You just do it from a place of authenticity and love that's right for you. And this yeah. is where I'm saying like you fight the culture, not the player, because the people who are getting the Botox and things like this, not, I, don't, I don't have judgment towards you. I just wish that you didn't feel you had to inject your face with chemicals to stop a process, which I think only, I believe women's value increases with age. Fundamentally, I do believe that because I know I'm so much better now as a person. <laughs> like, you know, I love who I am today. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. Um, 
so I think that we are going to have you on for another episode, which I would love. Um, and so to everyone listening, thank you so much for sticking through our tangents and everything. I will list Eleni's information down below um, and I will see you guys next time. Bye. <laughs>